This episode of Story Institute's Ramblin' Verser is brought to you by Enchanted Travel Tales, bringing travel, magic, and fun to your holidays. Seek us out today to purchase that magical vacation you've always dreamed of. Hello there, and welcome back to Story Institute's Rambling Verser Podcast, Episode 17. Been gone for a little while, but uh, as all summers uh, go, uh, there is vacations thrown in there and time with the family. I want to apologize for be gone, being gone so long, but uh, with some updates to the website, some closing out of contests, and some, uh, some just general improvements all around, we want to make sure that Story Institute is growing to meet the needs of its community and uh, its listeners. Speaking of growing... Uh, we've added a new form at Story Institute where we like to encourage uh, authors of, of all, uh, of all uh, experiences to post and share some of their experience with, with each other. You know, there's plenty of websites out there, but we hope that, that you'll choose Story Institute's forums to uh, share your, your poems, your short stories, your novel ideas uh, before even getting into things like NaNoWriMo or submitting to a publisher so check out the forums and tell, let us know what you think. Uh, if it's not for you, let us know anyway. Send us an email at ramblingverser at storyinstitute.com. Give us a buzz at 615-713-1783 or uh, just leave a message on, on the forums. Uh, you do have to register, but with registration comes uh, unique prizes, either books from some of the authors that we've interviewed or uh, Story Institute merchandise itself. So, uh, without further ado, here's this week's episode of Story Institute's Rambling Verser. The quote of the week is brought to us by Margaret Atwood. A voice is a human gift. It should be cherished and used to utter full human speech as possible. Parlessness and silence go together. Since we took a, a longer-than-expected hiatus, uh, we figured the, the quote here by Margaret Atwood on the, the value of the human voice is important. This week, uh, we're going to be talking again with Chad Corey, uh, one of the authors that we've had on previously, but delving further into things like character, plot, setting. Um, we're going to go over one topic each week. We'll add some new authors with Chad as we grow the topics and we grow the discussion. This week, it's Chad and I talking about setting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Setting is a source that's needed uh, for, for any story, whether it's a short story or novel, uh, graphic novel. Without the setting in a concrete form, the things kind of fall apart because you, know, you can't, have, can't have a hurricane in a snowstorm. It, 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 it may work in, in a massive science fiction novel, but it doesn't always work for, for your standard, uh, standard novel focus. So, Chad, I uh, was wondering if if you can give us a little insight since since your uh, your podcast and your parts of your website deal with world building. Can can we talk a little bit about setting? What what, what are important pieces for you when when you go about setting the the world uh, together, so to speak? That's that's a good uh, good introduction there too, especially when you understand that setting, at least for me would be the walls in which your world exists. It kind of sets up the parameters and the reality in which everything operates. Even if you're writing just regular fiction, it's it's still fantasy to some degree because you're telling something that isn't necessarily true or there's elements of it that aren't necessarily true. So you're still making something up. You're still putting together something that's not necessarily 
even though it takes place in the real world and real situations and things, it's not necessarily entirely true. So there's an element of, of uh, the fantastical creation element in that. So how do you establish setting? Um, for me, because I've had a more experience with the fantasy thing, I, I've always tried to gear it more towards something of believability. Uh, when I was first writing, I started out doing more of the traditional horror or some science fiction or even some straight bizarre dramas. Um, but I always was geared more or less towards, well, two, maybe three areas, one of which is, is history, the second of which is, I, I call it kind of a, a climate or, or um, an environment, I guess is a better word, and then the third one, especially when I'm dealing with fantasy, is more or less the religious or mythological concepts. Like those kind of are big underpinnings for those things. Everything is kind of built upon those concepts. Um, if you get into the straight fiction, yeah, like you said, you just just got to have a basic understanding of how things operate. If you're setting it in a time period, for example, that uh, like 1960s or something, it would behoove you just to kind of get some basic working understandings of things that were going on around that time. So you can kind of put some pepper in a little bit of cultural references without going overboard. And then just by doing sleight of hand like that, it lends some credibility and lends some meat and some believability to what you're doing and to how you're telling the story. You don't necessarily have to have them walk into a political discussion or go to go see a movie or something unless it's part of the, the story that fits in. But just little little snippets like that, like historical aspects, kind of kind of help fill in the void and make it feel like the person is part of the story and the world is actually more developed than what it is. Um, that's the other thing, too, if I can digress for just a second, is one temptation that we as writers have is we feel that we really have to go crazy and detail every single little nuance with the setting. Because if we don't write it up, it doesn't exist. Well, truth be told, if, if it's not crucial to your particular story, maybe you're, you're focusing like it's the 1960s, you really don't have to know what's going to happen in the year 2012. You know, So you really don't have to detail all the stuff from 1960 all, all the way to you know, 2012. Or, or if it's a fantasy world and you have a small continent, you're having characters roam about, you don't really have to detail the content on the other side of the planet if you're never going to go there and it never plays a part in the book. So you just want to focus on where it's important and kind of get the information where it's needed for your stories because that's going to be to your benefit because you're not going crazy and trying to do all sorts of things and then just wear yourself out doing stuff that no one's going to see and you're not really going to use. And what's going to happen too, I'm sure you find that out too in your work, is when you write the story, things change. You get different ideas. Some little things smooth out or they get twisted or turned over this way or that way. And so you end up losing a lot of the information you already created or you have to go back and do a massive revision, which you wouldn't have to have done if you just focused on the major things in in the beginning. Um, does that kind of get get to, get to your point? You answer your question there a little bit? It does. It does. In fact, um, you know, one of the things that, that we're noticing from early writers is is that they're they're including too much of that detail uh they they're forgetting that 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 the story should be developed not dumped uh, all on one page so you know they're they're trying to get out as much as they can within that first chapter but they're not uh, they're not taking the time to to really think about the the elements uh that go in behind them whether it's the history or the climate or the environment that you mentioned um and how it progresses, how it interacts with the character, rather than just, you know, like I said, just that big data dump. Um, 
it's not good uh, whether it's a work environment or from a, a story perspective. So yeah, that's that, that goes along with that very nicely. Well, just in time with the environment too. I think you brought up it just sparks memories here. I'm, I'm currently writing a, a short story collection of a, another character, uh, the same fantasy world, the world of Trollodon, and climate can play a pretty big important factor in in the storytelling. Uh, case in point, this area in which this character is, is roaming about and having their adventures and so on and so forth is more of like a, a climate typical to like Florida. So it's more humid and there's more of a, a trop- I don't want to say tropical, tropical, but more of a nature-like Florida, semi-tropical to tropical in certain areas, swamps and so on and so forth. And that plays a major portion in the development not only of the story, but you can have a lot of fun with that because you can see where different elements of the climate and the environment contribute to the history and the development of people or places in that area. Uh, for instance, it's going to affect how they do their hunting and gathering or their, their societies, how they build. They're probably not going to want to live in a swamp. Or if they do, why is that? And maybe they want to drain the swamp. So you can have a whole fun little narrative twisted around just the environment. And again, you can use that very subtly because maybe you can make a reference to maybe they build their homes in these tall uh, stock stilts or something and you know because of the swamps and things. Or maybe they are really big on alligators. <laughs> they have to go out yeah. and they raise them as pets or something. So it plays kind of their culture, their nature, maybe their weapons, their design, their artwork. Just, just simple things like that with a flora and fauna can have a major impact. And again, you're not doing a lot of work but you're just pulling in elements like that, and by doing a sleight of hand, like I said earlier, by not going crazy and trying to figure out every single flora and fauna or every single minutia of the, of the setting, you can make it feel richer by not putting so much in there, but making it seem more curious, too, because the reader will want to get in there and say, oh, I want to know more about this, I want to know more about that. Um, so that's a good point. Environment is a very good, uh, and climate's a very good friend, too. You mentioned the... Uh, you know, raising alligators and what and whatnot. That, that that's a good piece. But you know, you, again, it, it's where you find it out and how important is it to the story. You know, if you're in that swamp, that that would be a good pastime. That would be a good a good thing to do. But what wouldn't be a good thing to do is is, is raising guinea pigs. I mean, it just, so you know, you have to you have to choose wisely. And I think that's yeah. that, that's a big message for uh, for any writer. And, and just, just do the research, because a lot of the times what you'll find out is in just doing the research, you'll get a whole lot of ideas. And uh, not just not just the Internet or Wikipedia, because sometimes that's not always reliable. Go ahead and do, do the hard copy research, too. And go to the library or you know pull out some books or something and just, just do some checking. Check on some animals. Check on the, the history or culture of places around here or different countries, and you'd be surprised of the wealth of knowledge you can find that you can put little snippets in there, even if it's like going back to our, our first example, 1960s, you know, maybe he's a spy or something, 1960s Canada or something. And uh, it'd be kind of a fun thing just to go back and get that history. And the fun thing is you'll find little nuances in there sometimes that people might have forgotten or they might not even know are there, and you can kind of bring them into your stories or twist them around in such a way that you can have a lot of fun with them, and they kind of become a nice, rich background to this creative stew you're generating with all these different ideas for the setting. But again, yeah, like you said, knowing the proper place and structure of your setting, you don't want to have, uh, you know, a giant snowfish or something or whatever in, a, in, a, in the desert. You don't want to have snowmen in the desert, unless it's a really bizarre, like you said, science fiction thing or yeah. snowmen are alive or something. But um, yeah, having 
using the environment, using the, the climate, using the, the setting to its fullest potential without overloading uh, is, is a great, a powerful tool to the rider. So, so what are your favorite settings or favorite environments that, that you've either written yourself or, or read from other people? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think one of the most memorable memorable ones that I had the experience of, uh, of uh, participating in was back in the late 90s. Um, boy, I hope I remember his name. I think it's Timothy Brown. He wrote a series for the, the role-playing game Dark Sun. And the concept was pretty pretty bizarre but cool. Is This land was used to be this very lush paradise. And these wizards came around, and they, they sucked the energy out of the plants and animals and people and things, and basically turned a big chunk of it into a big desert. And you had this very harsh sun and a very large desert, and so now magic is kind of you know shunned, and people had to rake up this really tough existence, and, and metal was very scarce. And so they're using bone, they're using uh, stone, anything you can think of besides metal to, to have their entire society built up. And it was also based a little bit on a pseudo-Babylonian type of flavor, which is not that often done in, a, in fantasy settings. He had all these weird little pieces of, of meat and things in the stew, and it made for a very interesting, very uh, unique type of setting. And again, the way he did it, it was in such a way that you, you felt it, but he didn't really necessarily have to make you know every single aspect of the world setting. You discovered some por- portions of it along the way. But you didn't have to know who Farmer Brown was, you know, 30 miles down the road was. It wasn't crucial. You didn't have to know the X, Y, and Z about this political faction, that political faction, because they weren't in the book, you know? Right, you right. just kind of developed over time. So it was a very fun way to kind of immerse yourself in this world setting, sometimes a very alien setting. And that's a good point, too. Um, people have these creative ideas, and it's great. And they have these great concepts, sometimes especially for fantasy worlds or science fiction worlds. The potential is they make them too off the wall. They make them too hard to relate to. And not, you know, I look at that as a reader myself. I'm like, I just can't get into what you're saying or what you're portraying here. And so, again, having a, a setting that is inviting to some level or is presented in such a way that it is not uh, just overwhelming or confusing or hard to relate to is also another facet the writer has to, to understand. Because you may, you may think 1960s Canada is cool, but if you overdo it, you know, and put too much on where it's just too hard to take in or it's too confusing or it just doesn't flow well, you're going to lose that reader and, and the world and the setting is not really going to be fully established or matched in their imagination. And so your story ultimately is going to suffer as well. Um, like that, that's probably getting too back to your question. Dark Sun is probably one of the, the more memorable ones. I think another good example of a world setting done kind of on the, on the cheap but, but effectively, was Robert E. Howard's Conan series. Yeah. He basically just took the world. He drew his own map over the world and said there was, this is the time, you know, before a great flood or something. And so there was this different type of continental alignment. He just took all the cultures that were there, literally just called Afghanistan, Afghani, or something like that. I mean, very, very obvious, you know, changes yeah. of the names. And it basically set up his cultures on familiar territory. And I use him as an example when I'm, especially when I do Cold Inner Worlds, because that's a very easy, simple thing to do, and people can relate to that. Because, you know, you can say, okay, it's like, it's like the Middle East, or it's like, you know, uh, Vikings. And then like, you just say that, okay, to get the idea, you can call them whenever you want and have different little changes here and there, but it's very easy for them to relate to, and you can build a setting fairly effectively, I say, on the cheap again. There's not a lot of detail involved in that. Uh, you do have to research other course to get some, some honest-to-goodness references and materials. 
that kind of fit into that, but you can do a lot less of that because people are somewhat familiar with that. So those are two, I think, right now that kind of kind of answer your question that kind of fit for me. Very good. Very good. Well, I, I think that's that's a good introduction to setting and a good good amount of detail, uh, but 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 some some positive uh, positive examples within uh, within the writing world itself. So. Uh, Thank you very much for, for sharing some of those thoughts with us. Uh, anything else you'd like to add on, on setting in general? I know we'll come back and we'll talk about it some other time as well, but but anything you'd like to add? Uh, you know, if, if anything, just go to Calderna Worlds. I'll go to my website, chadcorey.com, and check out Calderna Worlds, and there is a podcast set up specifically for uh, setting, talking about different aspects of that. So if anything else I can add, that's probably what we'll be, where it will be. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you, John. The great thing about Chad is that he always has something positive to share about uh, about world creation or setting uh, and, and other ways, uh, other topics within within a novel, short story, uh, what have you. We're going to have Chad back on a few times over the next month or so, so that uh, that he and I can talk a little bit more about. Uh, about what he does best and how he shares uh, some of his passion, not only with his readers, uh, but but his fellow writers as well. This week, uh, you'll notice we didn't have a poem at the beginning of the podcast. The interesting thing is is that uh, going forward, we'd like to include a poem from uh, one of our contest or contributor on, on the, uh, the Story Institute site. While we're still in the process of making some changes to the contest itself, we did want to bring you a poem by Mark Sengenberger. Mark uh, is has partnered with us, and we have published his new uh, po- poetry book called In Between Epiphanies. Uh, you can find that on Amazon.com and uh, Story Institute as well. But here's a poem that Mark wrote uh, in, in our forums and shared with, with some of our readers. It's called Me Change. I tapped the pen on the table, hoping to jar some language loose. Tap, tap, tap. The color off-white is intimidating while searching for words. Tap, tap, tap. Like clouds, blank pages seem perfectly harmless to the eye, but meteorites can tell you that most ideas burn up on re-entry. Tap, tap, tap. Bite, gnaw, chew. Why do we eat our pens while thinking deeply? Has the taste of solace plastic ever inspired a thought worth articulating bit no chew maybe it is like the writer's version of a rain dance to the gods of ink during a suspiciously cruel drought jot scratch crumple the first word had potential the second word was uninspiring the third word was amateur better not waste a fourth on this page it might be a good one tap 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 maybe take a day off today Maybe a career change. Maybe a me change. I know maybe a poem about these words or of maybes. Jot, 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 jot. Maybe a dozen poems today while using my lucky pen. The one with all the teeth marks. While somebody else's reading can't do justice to Mark's uh, poem necessarily, please uh, check out Mark's book, In Between Epiphanies. Again, it's on Amazon.com or StoryInstitute.com. The last section we have is, of course, our poetry and short story topics. Terry has been gracious enough to help us in the past, and she will in the future. This week, it's just me again, uh, reading two of our, our, our topics and thoughts of, of writing consideration. The first one is a short story topic, Romance by Chance or Circumstance. Valentine's Day is a romantic day for most. Fred, however, has tried to be romantic. 
He has set blind dates. He has written poems, bought flowers, and arranged numerous carriage rides, all for other people. Fred always seemed to be there to help most of his friends connect with their romantic counterpart. He has decided to ignore the topic altogether for himself. That is, until his close friend Sadie comes to him for help. She asks Fred to arrange a carriage ride where her date does not show up. She asks for dinner to be arranged using some of Fred's contacts and friends in the restaurant business. However, her date doesn't show up again. Then, Valentine's Day arrives. Decide if Katie has a bad series of romantic opportunities or has other intentions. Decide how Fred feels about these instances. Decide if Fred understands the situation or simply goes with the flow as usual. Decide if the relationship develops due to much effort through random circumstances. Decide on the story and write. Post it at storyinstitute.com or share it elsewhere, but write and enjoy. And our poetry topic of the week is about carnivals. When was the last time you were at a carnival? You know, one of those signs of summer. The crowded, dark, and sometimes littered parking lots with the tilt-a-whirls, the ferris wheels, the bumper cars, and all those tempting carnival games. Cotton candy, all sticky and sugary. Snow cones, so icy and drippy. Corn dogs, so well, so corn doggy. Each of these images rise to the top when thinking of a carnival. Use each line to share one sense of excitement, of wonder, of worry with your readers, your new friends, your connections to the other carnivals that you have not visited. If you are struggling, take some pictures of the one down the street. Hurry, because it's only there for the week. Are there differences between the carnival and the circus? Are there different attractions, different people, different reflections on your childhood? Create the images as you see them. Decide on the feeling you wish to evolve it and post it at storyinstitute.com or share it elsewhere. But write and enjoy. That about does it for this week's episode of Story Institute's Rambling Verser podcast. Visit us online at storyinstitute.com or uh, give us a buzz at 615-713-1783. Leave us a, a comment on iTunes. Whether you liked it or didn't, we're always interested in the feedback. And uh, be sure to join us next week when we'll have uh, some new new thoughts on writing, new topics, some different, uh, different author reflections, and uh, um, some new contests for you. So thank you for joining us. And in the meantime, imagine, enhance, and grow your stories.